0: Sox fans, here
1: are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this midweek edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. Just a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When the Red Sox are getting utterly destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. The Red Sox just wrapped up a two-game set against the New York Mets, sweeping both games 2 to nothing. The Red Sox are in first place atop the AL East, currently three games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. News out of Fenway. The ballpark will increase its capacity to 25% as of May 11th. All else is quiet as the Red Sox fly to Arlington, Texas, to begin a four-game set against the Texas Rangers. News from around the league. Blue Jays starter Hunjin Ryu was placed on the 10-day IL due to a glute strain. If you're unfamiliar with a glute, it's an ass muscle. (laughs) Astro slugger Jordan Alvarez has been placed on the IL. No reason was given, but it is uh, suspected to be COVID-related. The Atlanta Braves will become the first MLB team to increase to full capacity on May 7th. Truist Park holds 41,084 people. I am Terry Cushman, coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter, at CushmanMLB. Co-hosting with me tonight from the Mile High City of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew, how are you?
0: What's going on, Sweep City over here?
1: What a great two games. Yeah, we all predicted a sweep on the last show, but... It was for the Mets, so maybe
0: <laughs> yeah, we Oops. should do the same uh, for the next one.
1: Yeah, next time somebody pitches, somebody throws six walks. I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I'm putting money on them the next game because uh, who knew? <laughs> Job knew he bet on the game. And uh, speaking of Job, I did indeed, yeah, coming to us from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, Andrew, I'm terrible. I, I've botched it every time. What's your Twitter handle? Where can they harass you? Uh, you can find me at, at Andrew Dwan, MLB. That's a D W A N. Very good. Job, your Twitter handle.
2: You can find me at JobMLB, J O B MLB, no job application. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I, uh, I think after Hot Take Tuesdays, I, I, I said uh, – that's on the YouTube channel uh, for those of you who haven't found us on YouTube. And uh, I watched Job's episode and was like, good job, Job. <laughs> Same spelling. but uh, I get that too often. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I, I get called all kinds of stuff, colorful stuff that we don't say on podcasts. But yeah, so kind of a fun Met series. um. I'm just going to say it was a little bit disappointing because the Red Sox have a, a big offense, and the polar bear was kind of, you know, tranquilized and uh, not a factor. Lindor still hasn't gotten it together yet. So it could have been an explosive series, but it was all about the pitchers.
0: Yeah, uh Rob Freeman the pitching ninja on Twitter definitely got his money's worth uh off this last two games. It was absolutely ridiculous. Some of these pitches that we saw were just insane. Um I thought the Red Sox might have been able to put up a couple more runs in the f- first game against Peterson cuz I don't know, he's just kind of just a meh nothing pitcher, but they got enough. They they, they just scored just Scored literally the bare minimum of what they needed, and that's all it took. Absolutely.
2: Nothing better than a win when you don't expect one. That happened in both games in this series. Uh, this series was dominated by the Red Sox pitching staff. Now you, I would say, stop me if you've heard that one before, but you haven't heard that on the show yet. Uh, it's, it's been interesting. I feel like Andrew and I are getting all the luck, Terry, You should spend more time with us because every show we do, we have a positive spin. Every show you do with (laughs) the other two, Jason and Charlie are like ready to jump off a bridge. So this is really just, I'm I'm loving this season so far.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a lot more negative than the audience thinks, uh, you know, behind the scenes, but I I come on here and just kind of, you know, try to play it cool. And, I've already said, you know, I haven't ordered my first glass of punch yet, although I am drinking tropical punch body armor right here. Uh, you know, as far as the Red Sox making the playoffs, but I, I'm looking at the menu. I'm looking at the punch menu. So, you know, we'll get there. We'll, we'll probably get there, but. Getting into it, studs and duds, only a two-game series. We struggled to come up with the duds, so that's going to be entertaining. But there were some studs for sure in this series. Job, you're going to lead off this episode. Who was your stud for the series?
2: My stud for the series was decided after game one, and people who are hearing this are going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think, oh, well, okay, it happened in game two. My stud's Christian Vasquez. Uh, he struck out three times in Game 1, but called probably his best game of the year. Uh, and it helps that Gary Richards had some nasty stuff, especially on his curveball. But he, able, he was able to get Gary Richards through seven innings of no damage uh, and maneuvered him out of some tricky situations there where he gave up a double down the line that he should not have given up but for the shift, uh, and then a walk to follow. So he had two guys on with with two outs, and Vasquez dialed up uh, a crazy situation there to get him out of that inning with some good curveballs, some high heat, which I loved. And then he came back today with the biggest hit of the series uh, in the double off of Jacob DeGrom was Xander Bogart on the second base driving a run. It ended up being the only run of the difference in that game. So he's my stud for the series without question.
0: Yeah, he did a great job pitch framing. Um, He also did have a big throwout of old friend Kevin Pilar at second base. Um, I forget what inning was, but it was definitely mid mid to later yesterday. Was it? Okay, cool. Yeah, oh yeah, it ended the sixth. So that was great. Um, The bat definitely isn't what it was to the beginning of the season, but, I mean, there's ebbs and flows to every season. So Vasquez will come around. He's doing what you need him to do, and that's calling a good game and playing great defense behind the plate. And props to catching the umpire tonight. So that's a that was another assist by him. That was a little scary for anyone that saw that one. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a very fair pick to pick Vasquez despite the lowish offensive numbers.
2: Well, I mean, well, you know, I'm I'm in that camp like Terry is. I want my catcher to be a defensive catcher. And any offense you get is gravy. Vasquez has shown he can be a top five offensive catcher. And today, last night was the first time I've seen him be a, a top defensive catcher for the Red Sox this season, and that's all I really want in the catcher position. Terry,
0: your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, it's, it's, I just want to say really quick. Yeah. yeah, and you saw Vasquez did exactly what they needed to for him to do tonight, and he choked up on that RBI. That, he, we don't need him to be in home runs. We, we really don't. If he just wants to hit 265, that's awesome to me, as long as he's calling a great game and uh, playing good defense.
1: I mean, he is in a bit of a slump, but I, I think he will bounce back. He doesn't – I wouldn't put Vasquez like Devers-level clutch in terms of, of – you know, big hits and big moments. You know, not quite with the frequency, but he's definitely a guy who can handle it. And and he did today. Degrom gave up three doubles early, so uh, Vasquez was one of them. Bogarts was one of them, and uh, Devers uh, himself uh, doubled on a ball down the right field line. So they got their hits early. That run came in the second inning, and it was all they needed. It was a one-run game. Well, it was
2: all we were going to get. You know, you <laughs> get the feeling watching that game, watching any DeGrom, right, but especially that game. You got a Xander on second with nobody out. If that run doesn't come home and you don't get at least one there, the pendulum for momentum swings in a totally opposite direction, and you probably lose that game. I know the game ended 1-0, so it's easy to say that, but even if this game ended 3-1 to or 2-0, 4-0, whatever, I would still say that, that would be a key play because getting the first run off the ground is no easy task.
0: No, one run is more is one more than expected runs against Jacob DeGrom at this point of his career. So whatever you can, can get it, I don't care if it's pretty or ugly, that, that's an accomplishment.
2: Yeah, and I mean, they pulled him a little earlier than I thought they would. I think, Terry, to you off air, I, I said I thought he was going to go through seven after coming off a complete game, he would be a little bit tired. I don't think you saw him, you know, tired or sloppy by any means. But he left a couple of pitches up there in the zone. The Red Sox went and got him. Especially, you know, that double by Vasquez was up around the letter. You know, that's he wanted that up around the eyes where he put it with Dahlbeck for the strikeout. He left it a little bit lower than he wanted, and Vasquez went up and got it. So it, it was nice to see the Red Sox capitalize on, you know, what for anyone else is a perfect pitch for Degrom was a little bit of a mistake.
1: Yeah, and it was one of those games you just—it didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. You know what I mean? And all the action was early, and we're going to get into some of the reasons why it it was also a low-scoring game on their part. But to hold that offense to just one run over 18 innings— That's impressive. That's impressive. So let's kind of get into that. Uh, Andrew, who is your stud for the series? This wasn't even a question for me. It is my boy, Garrett (laughs)
0: Richards. I've been waiting all season to say that. And, you know, the numbers weren't pretty for him going into the start. But after, he's lit up two runs or less in three of his last four outings which is majorly impressive uh, because it's not like he's going up against like slapdick teams. He's facing good competition. And yesterday it was the best of the best. It was a different pitcher. He shortened his delivery. His release point was, I mean, it was precise every time. It was unbelievable. It was day and night. Whatever they did between starts, I don't know how much film they watched. I don't know how much Dave Bush worked with them. I don't know how much they can work with the. players in between games with whatever protocols they have going on. But um, a switch was flipped and he looked comfortable out there. I I was proud of him. You go seven innings and you strike out 10 guys and you don't walk a single batter. That's unbelievable. Uh, Sox stat, Red Sox stats on Twitter, shout out him. He had a great stat. It was um, players for the Red Sox starting pitchers that went, uh that had 10ks with zero walks since 02 and he added Richards to the list and guys like Beckett and Lester they only had one two, and they've been a lot they, they they pitch a lot more games than Garrett has so if this is what we're gonna get from now on your number four starter might be a number two in a good rotation and this is, a, this is just a major development. And more power to him going on in that seventh inning because they showed him in the dugout after the sixth. He, he thought he was done. I wasn't happy they sent him out for the seventh. You know, you get the guy takes his foot off the gas and starts joking around with teammates. I mean, these guys don't talk to their teammates in between innings, let, al- let alone like laugh and joke around. And he came back out, gone through that, and then was able to be lifted for a pinch hitter in the bottom half And it just, you know, turned the lineup over, which they really needed to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I didn't think we were going to see this from Garrett Richards once this season. I thought he was going to be my perennial dud. And to quote Charlie from the last show, I think Charlie said, Garrett Richards is my dud forever. Well, you know, I, I was on that bandwagon until this week. Garrett Richards really showed me, frankly, some balls I didn't think he had. Um, it reminded me a lot of, uh, something Kurt Schilling said after the 2004 ALCS, which is, I can think of nothing that would make me happier than going out there and making 60,000 people from New York shut up. Well, that's, he made 60,000 Boston fans shut up. Um, there was a lot of fans who doubted the signing, me, myself included, and I won't say anything negative about him for at least five days. He earned himself some respite, but I'm not by any means as excited about it as Andrew is because we'll see what he can do for a couple starts in a row. But his release point was on, you know, was on tonight, and that's huge for him. We saw that be super erratic in his first three starts. Even in the start where he didn't give up too many runs, he was erratic with where he was releasing the ball. And if if he can get that kind of chemistry with Vasquez and they can deal like that, the Red Sox are going deep.
1: I'm not going to let my guard down here. Um, it was nice to see, and it was a big series. And he he pitched the best start he's had in a, in a Red Sox uniform so far. The best start he's had so far, period. Red Sox uniform or otherwise. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, And then on the other hand, he was catching the Mets at the right time. That's a team not firing on all cylinders. Francisco Lindor has had probably the worst start to a season of any career he's had. I don't know what Pete Alonso's deal is right now, but he was a complete non-factor all series long. So, I mean... If if he rattles off a few more of these, then, yeah, yeah, I'll kind of let my guard down and I'll, I'll let the confidence go up. But he did have more walks than strikeouts coming into this series. And, I mean, if he's going to be losing his mechanics that badly the third week of the season after spring training or whatever, how quickly can he lose it again? So, you know, so we'll, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Um, he will. Well, for me, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just
0: gonna say, like, the thing with me with Richards is that it has been mechanical, we haven't seen him get hit around at all. So that's why I've really never given up hope on it. It's just like, how many side sessions can they get to work this out? Now, do I expect him to go out fire seven innings, 10 Ks again with no, no walks next, next game? Absolutely not. I mean, that would be number one uh, pitcher stuff and they're not paying him that way. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that clout quite frankly, um, but he's shown just the raw stuff he has. He's been great. And he all, he brought it all together for one start. So it's just super encouraging to see him put it all together and give us a, just a taste of what can be there if it all starts to click, and that's what the signing was. It was if it all clicks, this is going to be great. If it, you know, you get sixty percent of what you think you could be, whatever it's ten mil, and you're still serviceable. And I think he's definitely. I think the floor for him is a number three at this point. Well, I, the,
2: I think the floor for him is a triple A starter. You know, that's <laughs> that's my floor for him. I don't. By based on Terry's face he probably agrees with me but
1: uh, I, I I want Andrew I to mean. be right but
2: I, oh me too me too no doubt I would I'd be the happiest person in in the nation's capital just just for that reason to be the happiest person in this on the whole easter East coast but I just don't see his floor as a three because we've seen his floor in the last three weeks be a borderline major league Major League pitcher. So for me, it's kind of stressful. You know, my heart rate is not going down every time every time he pitches until he strings four or five of these together. And I don't know if he can do
0: that. Well, I mean, if you look at his outings, he's had two bad outings, and the other ones, he let up two earned runs, zero earned runs, and then yesterday he let up one earned run. And that's honestly not too bad. And he's sitting here with a four point nine four ERA, which is you know, if he throws three score next time he throws three scoreless if he goes out and does that against the rangers that's going to be down into the low fours and that's kind of what we expected when we signed him no one expected like a three four era out of this guy we expected the reverse it's four three or something and i think we all would have been happy about that he just I, has I just to don't him. like the tightrope
2: you know i feel like i'm walking a tightrope every time i watch one of his starts
0: and but how many time
2: he made it across
0: how many start, number three or four starters in Major League Baseball are giving you guaranteed greatness each time they go out? It, those kinds of starters are lottery tickets. They're scratchers. Let's see, like, you say guaranteed greatness.
2: I, I don't want guaranteed greatness. I want a, a Martin Perez...
0: I mean, he's better than. Give
2: me five innings. Give me five. Innings. I
0: mean, we don't know what Perez is going to do, game
1: in and game out. If you look I mean, at his
0: stats. well, Perez so and uh, this year he's been off a little bit. But Perry, your thoughts?
1: Perez and Ivaldi are are three, four guys at best, and I'm not nearly as stressed out watching them as I am at times with Richards. And there's a lot of unknown still because he played most if not all of his career in lovey-dovey Anaheim where they pack that stadium even though they lose and never make the playoffs and uh, one of the lower pressure teams to play for that's where he comes from what's he going to be like at Fenway Park in a in a very hostile environment when he draws the unlucky straw of having to pitch against Garrett Cole and, and he
2: knows that he's gonna be he's gonna be booed if he screws up you know the pressure see well that's boston
1: on boston time. fans yeah but i mean
0: jesus at some point we've just gotta realize you're paying this guy 10 million bucks which is nothing in the year 2021 if you want a guy that's gonna be three times better than him you're gonna have to pay him 30 million bucks he's a he's a number three or number four Andrew, like, you're starting to
2: sound like Hein bloom my friend
1: it's it's not a I good i wish i was it's That's not a not good, not good environment a for it to be a head case though and not not so much by media personalities but just around on social media I've heard more than a few David price comparisons as far as his personality goes so hopefully he's he's more likable than David price but but he's We'll get into the Texas series, but that's a good matchup for him. I I, if he pitched well against the Mets, there's no reason he shouldn't pitch well against Texas and you know, it'll be another Yes, I'm not
2: I'm like you Terry, I'm not expecting him to go out and shut down the Yankees percent at any point. I'm expecting him to give you five innings of three to four runs against the Yankees. But against teams like Texas or against teams like the Mets, the way that they played this weekend I'm expecting something similar to what you got now—not seven, but five innings of, of one run, no run ball—is something that you should expect from any big league starter when he's facing a lineup full of scrubs, and that's what Texas has. So hopefully, we see that from Garrett Richards again.
1: I think he'll be fine that game, but and if he's not fine, if he's not fine, then we're gonna a different crew is well, gonna the do that is show. Really but, start, yeah,
2: you know, the seesaw's really gonna start. But the way that yeah. I look at it is the happiest person in the entire city of Boston after this series is high and bloom. Right. Because we'll talk about it when we get to the duds, but none of the high and bloom guys that he's brought in here have been the big cogs in the machine so far. None of them have stepped up and won us games
1: compared well, to the guys
2: that were already here. I see Andrew's face. The bullpen. Well, did you see who bu- pitched today? Yeah. The, the, <laughs>
1: bullpen's the bullpen's been good. Bullpen. The bullpen's been okay, good. But, but, and
0: so is the starter. Right, is, Whitlock is,
1: is a high-employed guy. But yep. Sawamura has been good.
2: He's a very low leverage. If he doesn't work out move, no no big deal. The high-pressure guy is Rickards. Now, his, uh, French Cordero so far hasn't worked out. Renfro hasn't worked out. They've both been dug multiple times, have yet to earn a stud on the show so far right whereas richards is that's his big ticket item for the offseason his job was to go out and put together a ball club that could win he got a bunch of guys who were role players and garrett richards was his big sign so he needs garrett richards to succeed in order to get some credit i would say from the fan base because otherwise alex core is going to reap all the reward well
0: of the our fan base isn't exactly the most um rational when it comes to high and bloom even though today you had nick Bavetta go out throw one hit uh ball and then you had a high and bloom guy relieve him and then a high and bloom guy relieve him and they let up nothing and yesterday more of the same like he's honestly i who is he signed that's been like bad if you look at Renfro, he's making $3 bucks, and he's a utility guy that's going to be splitting time with Jared Duran in two months. They're having three more prospects come up with Franchi, who's, yeah, he's been scuffling badly. But he, I mean, you put him in AAA, it's not like is hitting the cover off the ball. Honestly, I throw last year out, because they had a negative budget, and they literally had z- literally less than $0 to work with. I mean, Verdugo has been a stud. When you, I, I would, I would say he's been a main cog of the Heim Bloom machine. I, I he's been saying, good. As
2: far as guys that he brought in for this series, right, or for this season rather, this series is the first time you've seen a Heim Bloom team win a series that they probably should not have won, where it wasn't JD Martinez, Rafael Devers, and Xander Bogart doing all the work. Guys that were already here. I just think that this is a big series for High Bloom. As far as the team
0: I think this season's up. been but I mean you got to give him some credit for the season. You got Nick Pavetta too who's pitched lights out. He almost had a no-hitter last game.
2: Almost a no-hitter in the sixth. I like that. Now we're getting to Mad bump levels of almost no-hitters.
1: All right, um well Terry, let, let me know, say I'm this just 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 that. my piece on Bloom. Um he's done a fantastic job with the bullpen. I, I, I give him a lot of credit there. Whitlock, like we've pointed out uh, since all through spring training, been solid, still hasn't given up a run yet. Salamora, uh, the more I see that splitter, the more I want to see him more in, in high leverage. I, I think he's going to take someone's job away. So good, good job there. He's an
2: absolute stud with that, that splitter. It's one of the most dominant
1: Nasty. pitches I've ever seen. Nasty, yeah. And... I'm going to give him an incomplete for right now because all the thoughts I just had on Richards, Pavetta's trending the right way. He's really only looked great in his last two starts, and but the trajectory seems to be going up. I'm I'm going to give him an incomplete for now. But this let's
0: not forget about Andriese too.
1: Well, I yeah he's in the bullpen, but yeah yeah good good signing. I no issues at all with the bullpen. Whatsoever. And then with the lineup, it's to me, it's a little underwhelming. And this little run we're on, it's not a streak by any means, but in five of our last seven games, one, two, three, four of those have been wins. But we've we've scored three or less runs in five out of our last seven. So we're kind of getting away with it. Our pitching is bailing out that offense. I'm not thrilled with the lineup. I'm not thrilled with Kike Hernandez leading off. Every time I watch that guy, he's behind in the count. It's 0-1, 0-2, and then he's got to grind his way back in. It's frustrating. That That's a bottom third of the order guy. And- yeah, I, I'm with you on
0: on Kike. I, I don't like him in the leadoffs. I, I would love to see Verdugo in there. And even if you don't want to drop, if the, the team doesn't want to drop Kike too far, I think he'd be a two hitter cuz he does make contact.
1: I I don't like him in that top. I, but at the same time, we've got nobody, but that's still on bloom. I I would say we don't have another guy to slot up there, and then the bottom third of the order is absolutely painful, especially if Renfro and Cordero are in the lineup together, and then you got Dahl back in there somewhere. It's The just, bottom
2: third of the order is like watching a national league team.
1: It's It's, it's yeah. almost
2: like there's an automatic out.
1: Or a couple, so that that's where I'm a little frustrated with Bloom right now. But before I move on to my stud, you mentioned something in there, Andrew. You expect now that Duran will be called up because that wasn't the expectation. Uh, yeah, I think he'll be up
0: in ish or July. I'm, I don't think the plan was ever for Renfro and these guys uh, to be full time 162 game players. I thought. Ranfro was gonna produce more than he did for sure. I thought by, I thought maybe 120 games worth. Um but yeah, they they had Duran in left field the other day over at the alt site that was broadcasted. So they have him working around there and I could see him coming up. You also have Danny Santana who they extend extended his um his player opt-out by a month, and he's about to start ramping it up. And that's another one of those guys who can play three or four different positions. So, the shuffle continues. They can definitely bring some people up here, uh, send people down. I mean, Frenchy's got options, and he needs consistent playing time. This isn't all on him. He he definitely needs these at bats, and just you know, he's he's just not getting them. Well, he's only had
2: 194 at bats in his big league career because yeah. you know, he's
0: not a guy
2: that is a perennial you know player in the big leagues as a starter who's now being asked to platoon. He's a guy who's mm-hmm. still learning to play in the big leagues. Now, he came up as a shortstop. He was so bad at shortstop, they moved him to the outfield. And now he's not playing good outfield. Now, I know in the last series it was already talked about, you know, that catch that should have been made to save Pavetta's as no hitter. So I don't want to hash it out too much. But that's actually on High Bloom. Alex Cora came out and said that's exactly where they wanted him. And the reasoning there, they gave out the reasoning, was because that was the exact average distance that the the guy who was up, I can't even remember who it was, hits the ball in the end, two hundred and fifty two feet, whatever it happens to be. It's almost like there's some there's some disconnect between the front office and the actual baseball decision being made, and I, I wish Alex Cora would take that by the reins a little bit more. In which you know, by which I mean if Alex Cora doesn't think Franchi Cordero is ready to play, then he should have the ability to, to sit him down and just I'll play Renfro, and, you know, so be it. But Santana, I think, is probably the next man up to, to take a chance and and get some at-bats because of that opt-out clause. And let's not forget, he hit two sixty five with 28 home runs the last time he was fully healthy. So he's going to be a, a big piece here, I think, down the stretch.
0: Yeah, and the timeline works good too because – you don't want Franchi to be getting at-bats at the alt site only, you know, facing the same two freaking pitchers over and over and over again. Oh, sure. And, and is the day.
2: start of the season, right? Exactly. So it comes yeah. perfectly.
0: Yeah, so he'll be facing different guys. Um, granted, they aren't going to have long series. They're going to be six-game series this year in the minors, but he's going to see a lot different uh, arm angles, different slots that are coming in. It, it can only benefit him at this point.
1: I'm not that familiar with Santana. I know he's just kind of a, kind of a fringe guy, but if they think Duran is close, I want Duran because that's your top of the order guy. He's got that type of a makeup. Now, can he handle the pressure? Uh, can you just? I don't want Duran. I
2: don't want Durant. I, I want to.
1: I, wanna... I, I want him to play when he's ready. I don't want
2: the last thing I want them to do is brush him up. And have him have some you know early success, and then when you know he gets figured out a little bit, not make that next week and end up in a Michael Chavis cycle. I'd rather them just take their time with him, and when he's ready to really hit big league pitching, put him in and let him succeed. Don't back yeah, they're gonna ready, let though.
0: him get it. Yeah, I mean he's had <laughs> he was hitting two eighty just like three games ago. They had a bad stretch, but um, they're gonna give Duran um at least a month of minor league games and see where it goes from there. And if he's not producing above and beyond the competition, then they probably won't put, they probably won't bring him up.
2: So Andrew, I don't know enough about our minor league system to be honest to predict this, but am I right in thinking that if Duran comes to Fenway, he immediately slots in at center field and Verdugo moves to the right? Is that kind of the right way to look at it?
0: Well, in Fenway, um, probably, I mean, he's not a great defender. So, honestly, even if you wanted to stick him in left, it'd probably be the best option. Keep Renfro in right where he's actually been great. Renfro's been, he's been awesome in the field uh, so far this year. And I would put for Dugan center. And then, obviously, depending on the road. But, uh, yeah, it's going to all depend on how quickly and how, how advanced Duran's become since uh, the Puerto Rico League, where he showed he had some highlight catches, but there were also some ones where he didn't get exactly get great breaks on the ball.
1: I mean, if Santana's going to come up and, and I don't have to watch Cordero, then then that's fine. I, I obviously do prefer, prefer Duran. I, I think it would be good for the fan base if it works out. It makes Hein Bloom look good as well. For, for calling him up. But, uh, you know, Cordero is a bad baseball player to me offensively and defensively. Just doesn't get a good read on the ball. Seems to be completely lost out there in left field. So, if it, if it ends up being Santana, so be it. But we can't have two out of the three guys, and, and sometimes all three of those guys in the bottom third of the order being an automatic out. So, I'd like to see that address, And if you do, like, just for argument's sake, say Duran is the guy, and he comes up and he plays at the top of the order, I think Kike at that point makes your bottom of the order. If you put him in the seventh hole, suddenly you, you look all right. So I think the pieces just fit. So my stud, we freestyled the hell out of uh, Garrett Richards there and went a million different directions because – uh my stud for the series uh, was tonight's pitcher uh, Nick Pavetta, who went five innings. Not quite as impressive as Richards, but he only gave up one hit and uh, walked his normal three. I, you know, he typically seems to walk at least two or three. And struck out seven, so it was the second stellar start in a row. He had the no hitter going into the the sixth inning of the last start, and um, it's nice to see again. It's the Mets, but you still got to look good against the Mets, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a case in the future. So um, it's good to see. And um, I guess my question for you guys is. If Hoke comes up, who whose job are you taking? <laughs> like who who do you trust the most? Let, let's let's just put it that way. Forget Hoke. Who who do you trust the most? Who who's going to have the better season from here out? Well, I think Nick
2: Pavetta's kind of earned a, a much longer leash than Garrett Richards has to this point, and that's no fault of it. That's no fault of Garrett Richards, To be honest, I think Nick Pavetta's outperformed expectations set for him. Uh, let alone you know, the rest of the rotation. So to me that, you know, that Garrett Whitlock, um, Nick Pavetta combination that we seem to be running with every couple of games, that's starting to look like a really good combination. If you can get some offense, you really only need four or five runs. And then it looks like that one is, you know, put it in the books because that combo has been dominant. So I think Nick Pavetta definitely has the longer leash.
0: Yeah, I think I would take it from a different angle. Um, I don't see – bring Hauk up, but I don't see either guy losing their job per se. I can see you piggybacking Whitlock and Hauk with a signed starter. So you got your Garrett-to-Garrett games, and then you have like your Pavetta-to-Hauk games. I really could see them going totally outside the box and doing something like that. Give me, you know, I feel like, all right, you know, he got through four, he's laboring, but he hasn't given up a runs, but he's at 82 pitches. Bring in, you know, ha- pitcher X. Give me three innings. And that's, you pretty much are creating a seven-inning starter, seven or 8 innings starter. I just have this inkling that that's the route they're going to go. I Because you could just send down a Austin Bryce, you no know, so, would notice so now you're looking
2: at like a Tampa Bay style pitching stat except it's guys that it's like having an
0: yeah exactly it's like having an opener but an opener that can give you five innings easy like I loved what they were doing today bringing in Whitlock for you know two or three and then you get into your setup and then your closer that's a that's a clean ball game right there especially if we're going to carry 26 guys on a roster as opposed to the old fashioned 25, which, you know, take advantage of these rules as they come.
2: You know, I, I do like that. I think the one thing they've pretty much said is they're not moving Tanner Houck out of the rotation. That's the only reason he's not up. I mean, I think we pretty much all agree on that, that he is in the top, you know, nine arms, that we would have available it would just came down to pure talent to get three outs but they want him to get more than three outs every time so to me it's interesting kind of how they would do that without ruining him or, or moving him out of that spot but whose spot does tanner Howe take I, I think andrew probably came up with a solution that would occur to Ian bloom is austin bryce hasn't done anything i mean honestly If Taylor wasn't the only lefty in the bullpen besides Hernandez, I would send Taylor down. But there's an abundance of arms out there that are the the C-minus guy. So I think there's room out there if you're willing to put him in the bullpen.
1: Brazier is going to be facing live pitching here pretty quick, apparently. So, um, you know, don't, don't take him off your radar. About Whitlock, though, he was pretty good tonight. You know, struck out four out of the um, four out of his six outs were were strikeouts. Um, but he's starting to labor a little bit, so I, I don't know if teams are starting to you know get some looks on him and 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 whatnot.
2: You know, I think Terry he's putting a lot more pressure on himself
1: than he was originally,
2: and that's part of it. Uh, and the other part is I think teams are really starting to focus in on Garrett Whitlock as a guy that you know you're going to face if you have a series against Pavetta and Richard. I guarantee the Mets hitters looked at two, maybe three at-bats that Whitlock has had this season, or two or three guys that he's faced this season because they knew that either Richard or Pavetta was probably going to labor a little bit and Whitlock going to be the first guy out of the pen, the same way you do, the same way I do, and the same way Andrew does. So I wouldn't be surprised if teams are Kind of game planning to face Whitlock one time through the order the way that they would game plan to face a, a starter it, it wouldn't surprise me at all but I don't know if labor is the right word sure he's gotten himself into a little bit of trouble but he's gotten out of it with no runs and that he set the bar so high in his first month we're not going to see no runs from him for the whole season you know he's he's a rule five guy with a great story sure but his ERA at zero is not, not going to happen. So even if he does labor a little bit, it's still better than expected. Uh, I'm not worried about Whitlock at all.
1: All uh, right, Andrew's thoughts on I,
0: I mean, I, I've been pretty consistent with Whitlock or my views on him. I don't want them to use and abuse him. That's why I would like to see him go every five days, being piggybacked to one of these, you know, back-end starters you have. Yeah. Um, it's it's a weird situation. You got a guy coming off TJ, who is also a Rule Five guy. So it's not like you're like, all right, you hit your 85 innings that we wanted you to hit. That's a milestone. We'll uh, send you down to the minors and you can get your work in. I mean, no, they you know you lose them. <laughs> you literally lose him back to the Yankees if you. So I I that's I just teams are getting to start catching up. It's film. It's you know that's the world we live living these days so protect him throw him once every five days and uh don't overwork him and just treat him with kid gloves honestly
1: yeah and i'm not pessimistic on him but i i just think that that first run that's going to be charged against him just kind of feels like it's starting to uh you know become more imminent had a hit and a walk today and you know was you know was definitely grinding a lot more than normal uh, another situation I kind of wanted to take your temperature on and and tonight's performance kinda makes it less relevant because i you know I kind of put it on the docket last night but matt Barnes, um game one did you want him to pitch the ninth or did you want andres to stay in I wanted andres to stay in. <laughs>
0: I, you know, actually, so I was, I'm was i the exact opposite. I wanted Barnes last night. I wanted Matt Andrews tonight. Uh, I don't know. Last night just seemed like the night to bring in Barnes to me. That 2-1 game, that low-scoring game, obviously we didn't know it was going to be pretty much the same thing today. Um, I don't know. It just felt like a night to let him come in and just shut them down, which luckily he did. He uh, got it back on track because he was – you know, slipping just a little bit, nothing too major, but yeah, he they got him back on schedule, and we are gonna need to we're gonna need to tone it down a little bit. Like he's treating, of course, treating Matt Barnes like um, who was it? Girardi used to treat Scott Proctor. he would be like at the All Star break, he was already in like eighty eight games that year. You're like, hey, he's gonna die. Let's chill out here. So let's uh, we got to save some bullets for Matty Barnes here coming up.
2: Well, you know, I was thinking the same thing or along those lines, but then I remembered that our next seven to ten games, we've got the Orioles for four, or rather the Orioles for three, the Rangers for four, and we project to hit all of those starting pitchers. You know, if we expect the offense to be scoring runs, I don't expect any of those games to be safe situations. If... Things go according to plan. Now, they never do. There's going to be one, maybe two save situations in that seven-game stretch. And then we've got Detroit coming up as well, which is another soft landing spot. So some of those bullet-saving moves is probably because he won't get any work in for the next four days if things go according to plan.
1: It could also be a sign that the Red Sox have no intentions to sign him, and I really think that's the case anyway. So why not ride him like a rented mule and just?
0: Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. It's like giving a running back in the last like year of his contract, like four hundred carries. Like, eh. it's
1: the next season's <laughs> problem. I don't do shit. He ain't coming back. Yeah, yeah. Another weird. I mean, obs- if he
2: does come back, he's he's going to get paid, and that's not a high blow method, right? We know that. So I just don't see a a way that he comes back in which he's this dominant this year. If he falls off a cliff in June, then maybe we bring him back on a cheap deal, or he gets hurt. Who knows? But if he pitches the way he's pitching now, he's going to be a Dodger or a Yankee or, you know, another team that has a GM willing to spend money. So I think that's exactly what it is, Terry. It's nail on the head.
1: Another observation i made and i meant to i meant to bring this up in the in the richards part of it was it a little weird he came out in the in the seventh yeah that's what
0: i was saying earlier like i was pissed he came out in the seventh uh you know it turned out to be great because they were able to not use a pinch hitter and they got him out of there um they would have really burned a couple of bats, which, you know, they had a very short bench this series, so that helped out. But any time a guy takes his foot off the gas and eases up and is joking around with teammates, I it's just a recipe for disaster to send that guy back in. And I I was I was shocked he didn't give up a run. Now, honestly, if he let up like three hits, I wouldn't even have blamed him. I would blame blamed Cora for that one.
2: It really had the feel of a greedy little not going to get Pedro. It had that kind of feel. You're like, what are you doing? He knows he's done. The team knows he's done. The fans know he's done. What are you doing sending him back out there? But it turns out, Warren knew what he was doing uh, and or Garrett Richards just had a little bit more in the tank than we thought. I understand the move from a tactical standpoint when you only have a short bench, three guys on the bench, and you don't want to put your backup catcher in the game as a pinch hitter because what, what happens if you actually need a catcher if you've already pulled your backup? And then your emergency catcher is Arroyo who's got a broken hand. So you really got to be careful with how you use Ploiecki in that situation. So you really got to get to that next at-bat or waste it. And in a tight game, I don't mind it. I would have liked it better if he had somebody ready to go in the bullpen behind him, which I I felt like he was late getting somebody up. But I didn't mind riding Garrett Richards in, in that situation as long as you had a quick hook. And he didn't need the quick hook in the end, but I can't blame Alex Cora for the hypothetical um but again the ideal scenario would have been make sure that he goes out on top because if he gave you six good innings you put him back out there in the seventh and he got totally destroyed uh, it would have been kind of sad it, we wouldn't be having this get a stud moment
0: yeah he built up so much like momentum it would just suck to see that just
1: all go out the window at that moment well the reason why i bring this up and uh a similar situation happened with Rodriguez, and I was just trying to look up who the hitter was. Uh, he came, he he finished the sixth inning, went in the dugout, was getting hugs, high fives. His day looked like it was over, and then Cora sends him back out. And the first batter he faces hits a solo. I want to say it was Seager. I, I couldn't find it a second ago. And then we see the same thing with with Richard. So what I'm wondering here is. And I'm speculating. Let me say this before I throw it out there. I'm speculating and I can't prove anything. Just pure speculation on my part. But when those guys get sent back out, when it seems by all appearances they're not coming back out, whose decision is that? Is Alex Cora changing his mind at the last second in both instances? Is is a call coming into the dugout phone from an office upstairs or somebody running down the tunnel saying, hey, do this, do that?
0: I don't know. No, I, I think no. That's Cora. Cora. That's a thousand percent on Cora. And he even got that. Kind of mentioned something the other day where he's like, he wanted to get back into more of the you know the managing aspect of the game as opposed to relying on data. And then we saw these moves that he's been doing. And I do think he's also in the back of his head thinking, I'm riding these guys in the pen really hard. And he only has the trust of a few different guys. He's really picking and choosing his spots for hero right now. He's trying to, you know, get this guy acclimated to big league hitters. Obviously, he's never faced them before. Uh, Darwin, it's like, well, all right, we're still doing a little bit of a tightrope act with him. And then, you know, Bryce and Taylor, he's got zero trust in. And then you got your other two studs that you can't just throw out every day. I think he's really trying to pick and choose. and try to squeeze every last drop of blood out of these guys before he has to actually uh, give them the hook. <laughs> uh,
2: I very much agree with you, Andrew. I think this is Cora. If it was the other way around, Terry, and it, you know these guys were being pulled when it looked like they had more bullets in the tank, I'd say that was a high balloon call or somebody upstairs making the call. But him sending these guys back out there, probably Andrew's right. It has a twofold: One, he's riding the bullpen extremely hard. Our starters have the lowest average inning pitch in the big league, going into the Mets series. I assume it's, it's higher now because Gary Richards went seven. I assume we're not last anymore. But we had the highest bullpen usage, and it's not like we have the Yankees' bullpen from 2017. You know, we're not shortening games by three innings every night. So I think it's probably Cora trying to milk these guys, and I think it's also him trying to push the compete factor on these guys. You know, a lot of these guys last year, mailed it in and I don't necessarily mean these players but guys on the red side they just kind of mailed it in they didn't show up for close games they didn't look like they hated to lose the way this club looks like they hate to lose and i think that's because they're taking on the identity that cora is and, and cora has something to prove now so he's like no you're, you're not done go back out there and, and give it your all until i say you're done and to me that's a, a big part of some of his managing decisions so far
1: yeah, it just kind of it just it looked weird. It kind of, you know, I there were kind of some red flags going up in my head. Erod had a 3-run lead when he came out, gives up a solo, no big deal. Garrett Richards comes out with a 1-run lead and would have been a big deal had it happened in that situation. So, just something, you know, we'll keep an eye on, but but Bloom has to be more analytical than, than Dave Dombrowski, one would think. So, um, so yeah. Let's see. Honorable mentions. Devers. I didn't uh, add these all up like I was supposed to. Devers, four for seven. A uh, couple of doubles at least in there. Uh, good series from him. and Bullpen.
0: That's all you have to say. There. Yeah, do no, mention it, guys. Bullpen. Pre- if you're in the bullpen, you had a great series.
1: Yeah, literally not one bad outing, and there couldn't have been because no. we only gave up one run the whole series, like I said earlier. So, uh, all right, getting into duds. This was probably one of the more challenging weeks. I already roasted my dud inadvertently, but uh, whatever. Um, Job, who's your dud? <laughs>
2: Uh, this is probably the only time. In fact, I'm going to make a bold claim here. This is the only time this is going to happen JD Martinez. <laughs> he struck out three times today. He did not have a good game yesterday. I understand he was in the field, not DHing, which is where he's best. He didn't get to look at you know his film in between at bats all day because he's in the field. On top of that, there's no shame striking out to DeGrom. the Degrom. Guys. The best pitcher we've seen since Prime Pedro, but he didn't do anything to drive in runs. Uh, there was a couple of spots where I thought, "Okay, finally we're gonna get the spark plug." You know, JD's leading off. Or, "Oh, there we go. There's a guy on base. JD's coming up two outs. We could finally maybe do some damage here." And it just never materialized. So JD's my stud. It's the only time all season I'm gonna use that. I promise.
1: Well, this is – yeah, I mean, he was Ofer in the uh, Minnesota series as well. So not the first time he's done it. Well go ahead, Andrew.
0: Yeah, I mean, I got nothing wrong with it again. I mean, this was like picking nits at the ultimate degree of hardness. Um, he had an outfield assist, which was good the other day. Uh, that was nice to see. This was like, oh, shit, is he going to get – oh, wow, he got him. Because <laughs> um, he actually went pretty far to his right. To get that guy, um, whatever you know, I'm sure he'll go back and watch the film and come back a better player.
1: <laughs> Andrew, you're uh, you're dead. I already kind of
0: brought Eric talked about him a little bit, but mine was Kike. Um, I don't. I never wanted him to be the leadoff guy. I wanted Verdugo to be the leadoff guy. I wanted him to be Verdugo than Endeavors. He had such a strong spring and. Corey is a player first manager. He let him roll with that um with that responsibility to gain, you know, the players' trust and really try to boost that guy up. But I think it's time to drop him in the lineup. I'm not too sure where you drop him in the lineup. Um until we get some other guys starting to mash a little bit. Maybe we the recipes coming up here in the next few games. But yeah, um Kike Hernandez. Eh mess series.
1: We touched on it, Joe, but if you have anything else, go ahead.
2: Uh, my my main issue so far with Kike isn't his batting average. I mean, he's hitting 240, which isn't great. It's not driving in runs, not power. It's the, that the OBP is only 282. I mean, he's not drawing walks. Harry, you kind of mentioned it. He's always behind in the count, but he's also just not seeing a lot of pitch. I, mean, I have no problem with your leadoff guy not hitting 300, as long as your leadoff guy is going to see six pitches in at-bat, give you a tough at-bat. It seems often to me like he goes down 0-2, and then he just kind of gives up on the at-bat. He might foul one off, and then he just grounds out. Four pitches, maybe five pitches at the most. I want to see him you know, go deeper into counts on pitchers if he's not going to get on. And I'd like to see him work more walks. I mean, 282 as an on-base percentage is... Frankly, it's pretty pathetic from a leadoff hitter. I, I haven't looked at it, but I'd be surprised if that's not bottom five in Major League Baseball.
1: I it would have to be for a leadoff hitter. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, I I'm not going to criticize the signing. I, I love the versatility, but uh, I love him more in the seven hole. And well, I, I actually predicted
2: him to be the number one hitter. I I put out my lineup like weeks before we did it. And I said PK is going to lead off then Verdugo. I've I pretty much nailed the top five. I'm regretting that now, right? I mean, at this point, I would almost put Bogarts in the one hole. If you if you want to keep Verdugo in the two spot, which I don't necessarily love, then it's got to be somebody who's going to make contact. And Xander Bogarts is the guy who'll do whatever it takes to get on base. That's the kind of player I want at leading off. Not to say that I want Xander leading off, but PK is just the opposite. Of He's like, let me see one pitch and try to drive something. I like that mentality if you're, you know, further down in the order. But at the top of the order, I want to see pitchers. I want Xander Bogart and Rafael Devers and Alex Verdugo and J.D. Martinez to have seen five, six pitches before they even get up. And I think that would benefit us us enormously, especially, you know, if we can get these guys to see pitchers who've thrown 90 pitches, uh, you know, in the top of the sixth instead of guys who've thrown 77 pitches. It makes a big difference. You know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, how much they have left in the tank when they go to face JD Martinez for the third time it makes a big difference. Yeah, DK's seen 15 pitches or five.
1: My. Is it my turn? Yes, it is my turn. My dud for the series, uh, Franchi Cordero. He only come in for a couple of pinch hit appearances, uh, struck out in both of them. Like I said earlier, he's a bad baseball player. I think he needs another full year in the minors. Um, I don't really see a long-term future for him in Boston unless he really turns it on. You look at a guy like Michael Chavis, there is no pathway for him to come back really barring injuries because at some point next year you're going to have Tristan Casas up. And Dahlbeck's gonna be on on one corner. Duran's gonna be in the outfield. There's no pathway for for a guy like Chavis anymore. And I think Cordero's gonna be on the outside looking in if he doesn't get it together. And I, I don't like anything about him. I like his personality. I, I like I, I like him as a person. I can't stand him as a player offensively or defensively.
2: I'm tired of hearing about how he could play tight end for the Patriots. That's that's pretty much where <laughs> I'm at. I don't care how good an athlete he is if he can't see the ball, hit the ball. Now, we talked about it already, so I don't want to beat it to death. But I just I don't think he's necessarily ready. He needs consistent at bats.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's scuffling and asking for him to come off the bench cold is a little much. And I think Cora would probably admit it too. I don't even know if he has or not, but I'm sure if he was asked about, you know, what, what's going on, he'd be like, listen, we're not exactly putting him in the best place to succeed right now. Cause he did have a very abbreviated spring training too. Uh, He had COVID. He, I think he had some visa issues too, or just hard time clearing the protocol. So he just need, he needs reps. Uh, I'm not ready to give up on him yet. Luckily, Benintendi's not doing much better than him, so um, it's it's a wash right now. What you're getting out of there? And well, even actually- even
2: then, you know, it's not necessarily that Benintendi's struggling because we got some prospects back too. Oh yeah. So you know that that real return we won't know that return for two years, but the way that I look at it is. We need Franchi Cordero to hit 260. And if you can't hit 260, then we need somebody else, you know, ready to play defense. Because if you can't hit 260, you need to play stellar defense, and Franchi's done that. Renfro, at least. 20.
1: Don't look now, guys, but in his last seven games, Andrew Benintendi's hitting 304. And he's hit a home run, first one since 2019. And uh, I don't know. I, I think I think he, he might salvage his career there. That being said, I would have traded him anyway because if he falls off the cliff and it's June, you're getting almost nothing for him. So not criticizing the trade, but um, we, we just can't use the, oh, he's hitting better than Ben that's I, see, I don't <laughs> that's compare the two at all. Right? I, I oh, really okay. don't.
2: I think Ben career here was done either way. Yeah, I agree
1: with you on that one. So I don't I don't look at
2: the two and say, Oh, he's doing better than Benatendi, because Benatendi wouldn't hit 304 here. He just would. No. The pressure would have already got to him. He wasn't that guy anymore.
0: Can I make one observation I kinda want to get your feedback on really quick sure. based on the series? Is Peter Alonso, Bobby Dahlbeck? <laughs> I
2: think he's more like Michael Chavis.
0: No, I like but for real, like these are first base basemen that it's like I mean they're gonna run into a fastball here and there and hit it out of the park, but what it Like, I don't know. I think Alonzo, I don't think he's that good of a player. I think he had an anomaly of a year. I think Dom Smith, who had an adventure out in left field, deserves to play first base more than Alonzo does. I think they marketed him great. I think he's not that great of a ball player. I think he can hit home runs and belongs in the AL.
2: See, he's going to hit two fifty, play okay first base and run into 30 balls a year. And to me, that's the new path uh, of the American League ball player. You're right.
0: Yeah, the it's... path of the,
2: of the Major League Baseball, though, is run into one or strike out. He's kind of like, like Bobby Dulbeck in that, except we've seen it for a full season, and we've seen him hit 50 home runs. So we need run into one every other week.
0: That might be the biggest standout season that we'll like ever see because I don't I don't see it happening again. Oh, he and, won't I, hit
2: fifty ever again. But he might. already
0: Richards was it just destroyed him yesterday. Absolutely made that guy look like a goddamn idiot. I think um, going into his six-step bat today, he had struck out five consecutive times, and he, he looked horrible. The horrible all of them. he can't read no. the
2: curveball. He's much like much like Chavis can't read the high fastball. He can't read the curve.
0: And he's their four hitter. Are you kidding me? Like, but if your
2: four hitter hits two fifty and hits thirty five home runs on this team, we might not take it, but on the National League side of things, you
0: take that all day long. <sighs> well, I he He's got a great marketing team.
1: <laughs> well, his on base <laughs> well, percentage is is eighty eight points higher than his batting average. So he's he is drawing walks and off to a slow start this year. And last year's abbreviated season, he hit sixteen home runs, so I mean that's forty-eight home runs. What is what he would have been on pace for? Probably more realistically thirty-eight or forty. But um, so I I want to see more of him. But you know, are there red flags? Maybe you know. So
2: I don't know. I feel like two fifty and forty home runs is probably enough to make you an all-star every year in the National. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, it's just I don't know. I just. He's like, we Adam heard, so, yeah, we heard so much about him, and he had that great rookie year, but he hit 260. Last year, he hit 230. Honestly, like, that's kind of Dahlbeck's ceiling, you know, like 240 with 40 be, home runs.
2: If Dahlbeck can be that and give me 40 home runs, then I'll pencil him in as the everyday first baseman for the next 10 years, and I'll be totally stoked.
0: Yeah, it's Chris Davis with a K season. That like, this is just what those guys are. I don't know. I just, I expected more out of uh, Peter Alonzo after year one. And I don't well, know. I'd be surprised if he doesn't pick it up. You know, I
2: think that lineup is really scuffling A through Z. But if Lindor gets going, some of those guys get hot, JD, for example, there gets hot, and he has some protection around him, he'll start to see a lot more fastballs. And not only will he start running into more home runs, because I think the power is going to be there no matter what, but they might start slap. tell him to start slapping double. I think right now he's he's aiming for home run or bust because their offense is him and Lindor and Lindor's not hitting well. Um, but if he can start to get the guys around him going a little bit and that offense heats up, I think he'll hit 280. And if that's his ceiling, 280 with 40 home runs, that's a darn good baseball player.
1: You know that that Mets team is is playing like you know the quintessential Mets team. They're just not firing on all cylinders and. They're getting away with it right now because nobody else in that division is playing well. Well, Atlanta's finally, you know what? They're they're five hundred now. So they're they're turning it up. Philly, I don't I still don't know what to make of them. They're five hundred, twelve and twelve. And we put the Mets one game under five hundred, but they're not firing on all cylinders. Their pitching is kinda their rotation anyway, a little bit out of whack. So it's just not. It's not a great environment for for some of these guys. A, a guy like Alonzo. So Lindor has his money now, so he don't care. But um we put. put- I, I just think Alonzo's market is going to be
2: there no matter what. Because if you can hit two forty and hit forty home runs, somebody's going to pay you a boatload of money. That's that's Nelson Cruz. esque put- Nelson Cruz is developed into a much better hitter, but that's what he was.
1: Put, put Alonzo on the Red Sox or the Dodgers or, or even the Mariners. That, I mean, that was an electric team. Just put him on a team with good chemistry That's you know that, that wants to win and shows up every game, and I, I'd love to see that. But when you're on the Mets, how do you get motivated for anything? You know, it's, you know, just, it's tough because the they the don't Mets. seem to
2: get motivated for Jacob deGrom. Exactly. He starts off this, every year for the last three. They've cost him, I think, I saw a stat, Rob Friedman, you know, pitching Ninja. It was like 89 wins over the course of his career so far that the offense has not put up three runs or more. Uh. That's insane. Like, that—that that is the difference between being in the Hall of Fame and the 300 club and being just your average Joe on the street, big leader of pitches for 20 years. Right, it's 300 wins, 200 wins. That's crazy.
1: Today on social media, I asked everybody to put a percentage on the Red Sox chances to win tonight. Now, I didn't think we were going to win tonight, but but the people that were optimistic and said the Red Sox would win, one of the common things they said was, "Well, Degrom's pitching; he ain't getting any run support, and, and that's why we'll win, and that's why we won." <laughs> you know, I mean that—that's what I told you, Terry. When I said, you know, we can scrape
2: one across, and <laughs> we're going to get, you know, we can scrape two or three across. We're going to win this game. Because they don't show up for the grump. And if you're not going to show up for the most electric player in baseball, for a new owner, a fan base that's reinvigorated, who the hell are you going to show up for? This Mets team has a lot to prove this season. And if they don't prove it this season, they're just going to go back to being the Mets. Right now, they're probably the most exciting team in New York because the Yankees are slumping. They just spent a boatload of money and they got a new owner. This is the year where they can really say, hey, look, there's two teams in New York. And if they don't do it this year, they're probably not going to do it for the foreseeable future.
1: I think Atlanta, I mean they they're finally they're they're listed in first right now even though they're tied with the um Phillies and I think they're back. I think they're they've righted the ship and Well, I think so too. They've dealt with some
2: injuries. Um they finally got out of, you know, the slew of injuries to their number, you know, number one guys. Uh Cunha is finally back. He looks healthy finally. You're still going to get your number one starter from last year back at some point in the next couple of weeks in, in Mike Soroka, starting to throw up a Uh and He starting to throw up a mound in spring training. Had one spring training start. He's hanging out at the old site, just getting stretched out. He'll be ready to go in probably two weeks. And he was a bona fide number one last year. On top of that, Ian Anderson starting to fire on all standard cylinders. He's gone six innings multiple times. That division's scary, and the Mets are not ready to compete yet.
1: And they still have Max Freed and, and Charlie Morton as well. Morton's scuffling, but he could uh, turn well, it around. Morton
2: is—I call Morton the best four-inning pitcher in baseball at his age. Uh, you know, it seems like every time he runs into trouble, it's the fifth inning. But for four innings, he'll give you the cleanest four innings
0: you'll ever see.
1: Yeah, so
2: yeah. His
0: ERA tough. is actually shockingly high. It's just a tick. He's beating Richards by a tick right now. <laughs> it's very close.
1: Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll see, but we all, I think every single one of us picked Atlanta to win that division, and, uh, I expect nothing less. Uh, why don't we, uh, get into the series here with Texas? It's in Texas, so the good news with that is it's a new stadium. They have a roof, no rain delays. So, um, Nick, Oh, no, I'm on tonight's game. Uh, Martin Perez versus Kyle Gibson. Gibson's having a good year, just looking at it right now. He is. two 230 ERA, uh, s- striking out some guys by the looks of it. So um, I guess the thing to watch here is Perez is coming off two bad starts. So this should be a team for him to, to right the ship. And if not, <laughs> uh-oh, Job's boy. I expect him fully to write the ship here in this matchup. I
2: know Gibson's been good, but this lineup will show up. Uh, you know, they haven't shown up in a couple of days. They struggled in the Seattle series. Um, and then you can't get anything off the ground. So, you know, scratch that one. But they should have been able to hit in last night's ballgame if they weren't. Uh, that being game one against the Mets, for those who are listening. Um, and then, you know, Texas is a team that we should beat. There's no one scary in this lineup, so Martin Perez should have, you know, a, a friendly landing spot here. You are going to be in front of a full, a full crowd for the first time in two and a half years, so we'll see how that, you know, how that works. The, the Red Sox offense might be a little bit uh, unused to that, and it might rattle some pitchers early. I think they have the only home field advantage in the big leagues right now, uh, in Texas, even though they're not a good team. So. I'm interested to see that, but we, we should be able to take that game, that bread.
0: For me, I am going to simplify my take for this entire series in one number, and that is five. If the Red Sox offense could put a, put across five runs um, in a game, they're going to sweep this series. I, I really think that tomorrow's going to be the biggest challenge. You got guys like Xander and um, Devers that have actually had some success against uh, Gibson, but. You should be able to sweep this team. And, I, I mean, I i haven't really said that this year yet. Um, I i think this is a team for the taking. I think you just need to squeak across five. Obviously, I'm sure they're going to labor against one of these team, one of these games. But that's all you need to do. You just got to shut down Gallo, and you, you kind of have, uh, you know, uh, coast is clear. I don't think you're going to get the Brock Holt. Revenge game here. Um, I I just don't see uh, Texas being able to keep up with this offense when everything's uh, going well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Andrew, you pretty much hit
2: the nail on the head for the whole series. I I expect us to sweep this series, Terry. I won't say that too often uh, during the season I expect to sweep because usually I'll take three out of four, two out of three and be extremely happy with it, especially on the road. Um, But if you look ahead at the schedule, got Texas for four. We're back to Boston for Detroit. We've got three in Detroit, four in Baltimore. Those are all winnable series. But if you look ahead of that, Oakland, Los Angeles, Toronto, Philly, Atlanta, Miami, Houston, New York. Those are all tough matchups. We got tough matchups going all the way through. I'd say the next easy matchup where I can predict the sweep is in the middle of June. And that's against Kansas City, who right now is leading the central division. So I just really don't see a soft landing spot for this team after these next couple of series. They need to win this. It's very early for a must-win, but if they're going to keep a lead in the division, they need to take three or four.
1: Yeah, mid-May definitely it starts to get pretty tough. Um, Game two, well, let's come back to game two in a second because that's... The other ones, there's not much of a debate. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez versus Jordan Lyles. I think we can agree. Erod's going to cruise. That's that's the the one hardcore. The move to 5-0. Yeah, that's the biggest no-brainer game in there. Uh, Richards, good matchup for him, I would say. Uh, No tougher than the Mets. Up against Mike Fulton-Nevich, which is my favorite name in uh, Major League Baseball, just because it's so Funky spelled, but easy to say. Um, He's pitching, you know, 461 ERA, trying to get his career back on track. Uh, Texas is a good place to do that, but um, I I don't know if he's going to do it against the Red Sox. Going back, though, to game two, I mean, Evoldi, like Perez, coming off of one bad start, so you're kind of hoping he gets it together. This, This Kohei Arahara guy... Was the Red Sox in on him? Was he one of the Japanese guys that we were looking at, or, or am I mixing them up? I think up? it
2: was San Diego. I think he was down to San Diego and Texas, and they got they took him, mm-hmm. and then that was their international sign. Yeah, but I but he was yet. definitely somebody that we looked at, for sure.
1: The shortstop or the second baseman signed with um, – with the Padres.
2: Yeah, Kim, Kim side with the Padres, the shortstop. We I lost out on was... a
1: pitcher somewhere, and I want to say yeah, it. it was the first. I, this was
0: one of them. Um, the other one that was a little more established, God, I'm blanking on his name, but he decided to go back. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, back Japan. to Japan, yeah.
1: Yeah. He got a nice deal with his uh, home team, so he yeah, decided to him. stay.
0: Go <laughs> where you're comfortable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that's – I was just kind of curious there, but he gets the uh, Evaldi matchup. So hopefully those guys – I expect – Yeah, go ahead.
2: uh, I would say the the one thing that I really want to see from this series is is not necessarily a get-right game for either Perez or for Evaldi. I mean, that would be nice. But what I want to see is length from the starters. I want all four of these games, I want the starters to go five plus – I'd like to say six, but we we won't get ticked out of them. But I want all – four starters
0: in this series to go five plus i think yeah really nice for me the two things i want to see other than obviously them take three out of four at least is i want to see um the bottom third of the lineup start to get to get get together a little bit and i also think this I don't care how close of the games they are. I think it's going to be Valdez. I think it's going to be Taylor. I think it's going to be Bryce. I think it's going to be uh, Hero. I think those are the guys we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see the A A bullpen whatsoever. Darwin hasn't pitched in a bit. He might be your closer for the next uh, three games, Absolutely, and
2: I think that's part of the reason why they were able to use Barnes in this series and lean on the A squad in this Mets series where they expected probably to get a split at best um, is because... They were planning on these next four games being the B squad. So I'd expect a lot of Taylor, a lot of Donaldson, Hernandez. Austin Bryce might get a lot of usage because I have a feeling that in a couple of weeks when Brazier's ready, we expect him in three weeks, I guess, um, he's done. So I would expect him to get a lot of usage because we don't have to save his bullets for anything. Um, and we need to save Barnes, Ottavino, uh and Whitlock as much as we can. So I I don't want to see any of all, any of those four in this series. If any of those four is in this series, then I'm ruling them out as a dud for the series because it's not their fault. They're being used as much.
1: It it could be a good get right series for uh, both Darwin's in and uh, Taylor as well. So just to kind of work on some stuff, but uh, I guess my prediction, I'm just going to take the safe route and just say, we'll win three out of four. You know, four out of four is possible, but uh, you know who knows. We can get caught sleeping in there, or maybe maybe Perez just doesn't have it, or, or something, and, and and we'll cough one up. But we'll win the series regardless.
2: You know, yeah, I agree. Don't, don't lose four. It, yeah. If we don't lose this series, then all the questions that you have, Terry, that I have, that haven't yet been answered, like the Renfro question, the Cordero question, who's your next guy. You know, Who's your bottom of the lineup that all those questions are going to be magnified? Because this is a team that you should beat. And it's probably the first time we've played a team that you should sweep since we lost three to Baltimore, the first the first three of the season. Right? So to me this is a, a huge moment in the public perception in Boston. We need all four of these. Um three will be nice, but I mean three would be okay, but we need all four of these. And then you're going to see the the Red Sox bandwagon is going to grow about four times.
1: It's going to be interesting. Put Duran in left field and it'll grow. Get the hype train going. But uh, all right. So for the listening audience, uh, uh, Jason, Charlie, and myself will be back Sunday night to discuss exactly what the hell did happen uh, in this series. So. Uh we, and Charlie will
2: be eating glass live on air. That's a quote from his last episode of Gary Richards was good.
1: <laughs> Oh, I can't wait. So, we'll see you guys uh probably Monday morning on your commutes. Take care.